I want to welcome you again to Door Creek. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark. If you're a regular tenor here, my name's Mark. (laughs) Just got back from a great summer break. If you didn't get my note from Mark, that means we actually, we don't have your email. So if you want to get those, uh, let us know through one of those uh, comment cards. But summer break is about some vacation time with family, which was sweet. Uh, Some ministry time out in Colorado at a family camp, which was awesome, up in the mountains. And uh, then some time of study and preparation as we get ready for the year ahead. And it's just very excited to get back and to see all that's taken place in this uh, physical space that, um, you know, we just all trust will bring God great honor as uh, lives are changed in this place. So excited to be back, to be with you. <clears throat> as we uh, begin the message today, I want to start with a riddle. And the riddle goes like this. When does a generous gift produce bitterness? When does a generous gift produce, bring bitterness? I'm thinking of bitter feelings, not literal bitterness. I'm not thinking about a crate of lemons here, a generous supply. That's what I'm talking about. A genuinely generous gift, the kind of gift that reminds you of the greatest gift of generosity that you've ever experienced, ever received. Can you think of that? And for me, I just go to one event, and I can see where I'm seated. seated. I can see who's across the table. I know where I am, what time of day it is, and I know my feelings as I walked out of that restaurant, and bitterness did not come close to describing my feelings. It was like, oh, I can't believe that just happened. It's amazed. Would that be your experience? A generous gift? You, you're like amazed, right? Like, wow, unexpected, man. Jesus is going to tell us a story, actually, of how a generous gift brings about a completely different reaction. And it's the story of this landowner who has a vineyard and hires a bunch of guys. And we're going to look at it in just a bit. And it's one of those kingdom parables. So this is a story that teaches us about God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is kind of this ethereal kind. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is present as he comes. He talks about the poor in spirit entering into the kingdom of God. People who suffer and are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of God. That's why they're blessed. And it's kind of easy to go, what exactly is the kingdom of God? When you hear the kingdom of God, the first thing you do is go, kingdom, king. Kingdom of God parables are teaching us about the king. The king is Jesus, what he's like, his character, characteristics of his realm, his rule. And this parable is going to just reveal a lot of things about our hearts. It's going to reveal a lot of things about God's heart. And it's going to point to the power of God's generous grace to turn things upside down. So that what Jesus calls last things become first things. So when does a generous gift produce bitterness? Grab your Bible Matthew chapter 20, and as we read through this parable, maybe you're going to get the answer to the riddle. So we're in Matthew's gospel, first gospel of the New Testament. Grab your table of contents if you're new to the Bible. We're kind of getting towards the back end of it. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was a scoundrel. He was hated. He worked for the Roman government collecting taxes for his own people and extorted them to pad his own 
bank account. He meets Christ and his life is turned upside down. And he records this story that Jesus told to some of his followers. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So when does a generous gift produce bitterness? It's when it's given to somebody, not me, that I have concluded is not deserving of that gift. That's what's going on here. That's what was going on sometimes when we were kids at Christmas. Oh, you did too, huh? (laughs) And man, isn't it interesting how quickly we have this innate sense of justice. And we would never have said it at Christmas. But we were looking at the piles of presents, weren't we? And we were sometimes going, man, I think I kind of got overlooked here. And that's not what? Fair. Man, how many times, parents, have we heard that from the kids? And how many times did we give that stupid response? Honey? Okay. Life's not fair. So it becomes a bitter thing when we felt like, man, that's what we deserved. And what in the world were they doing getting that? They didn't deserve that. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's just kind of rehearse the details of the parable. So we got a landowner. He owns a vineyard. And he's obviously got a lot of work to do. So he goes down to the market square where the day laborers hang out. And he's looking for day laborers. And he hires a bunch at 6 a.m. Because that's kind of like the work day. And he gets them to work. And by the way, they all agree right up front to a denarius, which was the standard day's wage for a day laborer. We're all good. We're agreeing that you're going to work for me in my vineyard for the day for a denarius. Man, there's a lot of work to be done, apparently, because he goes back at nine, hires another crew, goes back at noon, hires a third crew, goes back at three, hires a fourth crew, and then at five, an hour before quitting time, hires the last crew at five. 
And then at the end of the day, at six o'clock, he has his foreman pay everybody because the day wait, day labor always got paid at the end of the day. That was the custom. And he says, okay, I want you to pay them all. I want you to go reverse order. And he gives them, starting from the five o'clock guys to the 6 a.m. crew, each a denarius. And that's the point in the story when Jesus is telling it, where everybody's going, oh, this, is a different kind of, this is not where I thought this was going. This is where it hits the tilt. And we're going, wait a minute. What's up with this? That's not right. That's not right. The interesting thing is when Jesus tells a story, he doesn't fill in the emotions of the five o'clock crew. I mean, come on, if we're the five o'clock crew, I mean, we did better than double time right now. I mean, we're going home and we're saying, honey, you won't believe it. I worked, a, I worked an hour today and I got a full day's wage. Just go to dinner, man. I'm taking you out. This is a good day. There's no commentary because we don't need any commentary. They're going home going, wow, that's a pretty good deal. I worked an hour and I got the same pay as the guy who worked 11 hours longer than me. We get plenty of commentary, though, from the 6 a.m. crew, Right? They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're not picking up their beef with the guy who gave them the paycheck, the foreman, they're going right to the guy who is the guy, the landowner. And they go, what's up with this? Why are you treating us equal? It's like, boss, did you forget? It's been a busy day. Maybe you lost track, but you know, we actually got time cards here. We punched in at six. These guys didn't punch in till five. They worked a measly hour. Something's not right here. Either we should be getting a lot more pay, or, man, they should be getting a lot less pay. It's not right. So what does the landowner say? He says, well, wait a minute. He said, I've actually been fair to you. We all agreed at the beginning of the day you'd work for Daenerys. Did I pay you Daenerys? Yeah, I paid you Daenerys. I've been fair. And by the way, it is my money. And don't I have the right to pay people what I want to pay? And you know, actually, I wanted to pay those guys a full day's wage. And then then there's kind of the clincher, what he says. Uh, So your problem with me, and you have a problem with me, you think I'm unfair, but it's actually not a matter of justice that you have a problem with. Because I've been fair. Actually, what you're envious, what you have a problem with, is my generosity. My generosity. And so here's an interesting thing to think about. That the grace of God that this story is pointing to could actually be something that offends somebody. That you actually could be offended by the fact that God's grace goes to people who don't deserve it. Or you could be amazed by it, like we assume the 5 p.m. crew going, man, I didn't deserve a full day's pay, and they're amazed by it. That the grace of God could either offend me or it could amaze me. So I, I wonder how it is for you right now. Is God's grace something that is offensive or is it something that is amazing? And our attitude about these things will set that whole thing up. If we're part of the 6 a.m. mentality that goes, man, we work for what, we we get paid for what we do, right? A a full day's work deserves a full day's pay, and I deserve it. If, If that's what our construct is in life with God, that we get what we deserve, 
Well, then we're set up to see the grace of God actually be really, really offensive. So, a generous gift becomes a bitter thing when it's given to someone that we have concluded is not deserving of that gift. That's what this story is about. This isn't a story about Jesus is really teaching us how to pay people a fair wage when they work for us. This is not about labor relations. There's plenty of other teachings in the scripture that will guide us here. That's not what this is about. It's a kingdom parable to tell us how the principles of the kingdom work, tell us how grace works, tell us what the king is like, and we don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss it at all. All right, so... We know how the, five, the 6 a.m. crew felt about it. So then the question becomes, so when Jesus was telling the story, and obviously he's telling it to his disciples to make a point, how did the disciples, how did the people that were hanging out with the disciples hear the story? What was their reaction? When you read around the story, there's nothing at the end of 16 that says, and the crowd was amazed. The disciples were perplexed, and they said, Jesus, how can this be? Or it didn't say, and they picked up stones to kill him. <laughs> there, there, there's nothing in there that gives us any take on what's the response. We don't need that. Because we felt the same response, didn't we? They felt the same. This was, man, the word parable, it means to throw alongside. It's to throw truth alongside of this story. And Jesus is throwing like hand grenades here. I mean, things are just blowing up. We're going, what's going on here? This isn't right. You're saying the kingdom of heaven works like this? this? This thing's like out of order. This isn't fair. This isn't right. So he's blowing things up. And the interesting thing is, when we have the kind of reaction that we can assume the audience had, even though we're not told, we can assume that because we have the same reaction. Like, man, this doesn't seem right. I mean, I'd be really happy if I was part of the five p.m. crew, but man, if I start at six, and I've been working all day, and I got the calluses, and I've sweated like that, and my muscles are sore, and I got the same wage that this chump got for working an hour, man, that, that would not go well for my fear. That's just how I'm wired. I think we get that. And it's interesting to see what they do, and this is kind of what we do, when we get into places where we go, wow, I deserve better, and they don't deserve that, and what's up with this God? Two things happen. One is we look down on those who we believe are undeserving. Okay, we look down on those to elevate ourselves, to show the comparison. All that's going on with the 6 a.m. crew is they're comparing themselves. They're comparing themselves to how long they've worked, to how hard they worked, to to the heat of the day how they worked. They're comparing themselves to elevate themselves to say, I'm more deserving by pushing these guys. Look, they just worked an hour. Come on. So we push people down who we think are undeserving to elevate ourselves, and then we look down on God to justify ourselves. So there's this definite feeling in the story that these guys are going, this, this, they don't have good, warm, fuzzy, they're not walking away at the end of the day going, man, I love working for that guy, and you know what, if he came tomorrow to the market, I'd work for him again. They're going, no way. This guy's messed up. I'm not wor- They've got ill feelings. And it's easy to bring that to God where we go, God, this doesn't feel fair. I don't think it's fair. And so because of that, I don't think you're good. I don't think you're good. To justify 
who I am. What's going on? And so what happens is, when, when we actually are offended by the grace of God, offended by that there's actually a story of a thief on a cross in the last minutes of his life who did nothing but just corrupt things. And all he does is at the end of his life, he says, Jesus, remember me. And man, he's forgiven. And Jesus says, you're going to be with me today in paradise. And we go, what's up with that? When we're offended by grace, it fundamentally is pointing out that we don't understand grace. And it's, it's actually precluding us from ever experiencing grace. When I'm offended by grace, I don't get grace. Because grace fundamentally is a free gift. It's unmerited favor. It's an unconditional thing. God's not giving us this grace because we've earned it. What does the scripture say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, your salvation, even your faith, God giving you his grace, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is what Jesus is getting at. That grace is a free gift. It's not something that you work for, that you get to the place you go, now I deserve it, don't I, God? If we think that grace is something that we deserve, then we're in some nonsensical categories. And we kind of get comfortable with nonsensical categories. And we should be careful of that. So let me humor you. Here's a nonsensical category that we have. Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Crash landings. Really? That was a landing? I mean, we, we get into that. We think grace is deserved. So let's go through the categories. Justice is getting what you deserve. You're going down. You're hungry after church, you're heading for brunch, you're a little too hungry, your foot's a little too heavy, and you get pulled over. You're going 45 and a 35, and the cop writes out up a ticket. What do you get? Justice. You got what you deserve. We were speeding, we get a ticket. Same scenario, we get pulled over, we are doing 10 over, and the cop gives us a warning. This is a good day. What do we get? We got mercy. We didn't get what we deserved. We deserved the ticket. He gave us a warning. What is grace? We're driving to brunch. We get pulled over. We're going 10 over. He doesn't give us a ticket. He gives us a warning. And he notices that we're wearing a badger cap. And he says, you know, funny thing. I just got my schedule and I found out I'm working the opening game of the badger football season. I got four tickets at the 50-yard line. Do you want them? That's grace. That's grace. Getting what we don't deserve. So the question then becomes, which crew am I part of? Am I part of the 6 a.m. crew? Am I part of the 5 p.m. crew? Am I someone that is working the program so that I've put God in a box where I really believe that he owes me, that I'm working the program so I'm deserving of the blessing, or am I someone who's just amazed that he would move towards me with not only mercy, but with grace? 
What crew am I a part of? So we walk home, we drive home, we walk away today, and we got to remember, because it's a kingdom parable, it's teaching us about Jesus. And what it's teaching us about Jesus is he's a beautiful savior. He's the king that you want to follow. Jesus continues to call people to acknowledge him and to follow him and submit their lives. That call goes on today. This is the one who is calling you to submit your whole life to. What is he like? What are we learning? That he's fair, but he's more than fair. He is gracious. He is generous. He is a God who moves towards those who don't deserve it. That's good, good news. It's especially good news if you find yourself in the categories where you go, but man, if you, know, if you only knew what I've done, there's no way God could ever love me. See, we're in this deserving, this religious, working our way to a place where God's now got to, to kind of meet us halfway. This is the beauty of it. If we ever get in this place where we go, and a lot of us are there, where how in the world could God ever forgive me? I can't even forgive myself for what I've done. That's not how God operates. His grace goes to those who understand that they're not deserving. The prophet picks up on this theme of God's grace and his justice and um, brings it all together in Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And so this story just begs the question, what's my view of God? What's my view of Jesus? And sometimes it's easy to err on, well, he's just kind of just. And I feel like, man, every time I mess up, he just kind of whacks me across the side of the head with a two by four and knocks me down. And he's like always waiting for me to mess up. That's my view of God. He's just. He's just kind of this robocop in heaven that's ready to nail me. And then others go, no, I, no, no, God is loving and merciful and he is gracious and good and generous and kind. And he's like my grandfather, my grandmother, you know, he's just always given me things. And we bring these things together and it shouldn't freak us out any more than when you pick up a quarter and if you see one side is tails and the other's head, you don't go, what's wrong here? Why aren't they both tails? We, we get it. God is just. God is merciful. God is loving. He is gracious. Is that our view of God? Or do we see God like the 6 a.m. crew? They see their owner as capricious, like, you're too unpredictable. Why in the world would I ever work work for you? Because tomorrow you may say, I don't get any pay. No, God is not capricious. He is not reckless. He is consistent in all of his attributes that include his justice, his grace, and his mercy. And all of those come together in the storyline of the Bible in one place, in one event, and it's at the cross. And what we don't want to miss here is the the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel to turn things upside down. And the fact that, that Jesus didn't just teach this principle, but he embodied it and lived it. And so we get our eyes not only on the king, but on the power of God's generous grace. And we remember how the grace of God turns last things to first things. 
So I was thinking about the 5 p.m. crew. The guy goes and he hires him. What does he ask him? He says, what are you guys still doing here? Standing around doing nothing. And they say to him, what? Nobody's hired us. So these are the guys who've been passed over throughout the day, right? There was a group at six, at least at this guy. We can assume there are other guys, right? We've been passed over. And I was thinking about, man, if I was that landowner and going for workers for that day, I'm showing up at 5.30 and I want to know who's ready to work. I'm looking at their body language. I want to see where their hands are. I want to look at their physical stature because I need some some big guys to get a lot done, and I'm as best as best I can get the hardest, best workers, right? And for whatever reason, these guys never met the grade. They were passed over, right? Hey, we've been here all day. Nobody's hired us. And the beauty of this story is it reminds us that even as the landowner extended grace in the hiring and then of the paying of these guys, God's grace goes to those that we think are undeserving, the least, the last. So in the context of chapter 19, we have a rich man who can't give up his riches because that's what he's trusting in. And he's a first in society. He's a successful guy. He's a guy that religious people would even think, well, man, he's, he's got to be living a good moral life because look at how God's blessing him. He's a, he's a first kind of a guy. And uh, Jesus says, actually, uh, the first are like children who actually don't have anything, who are completely dependent. That's first. The greatest in the kingdom is not a master. It's actually a servant. You think about Jesus as he taught about the least of these. It would include what? Widows, orphans, the poor, prisoners, people that are marginalized, people that are looked down on, people that normal people go, they're not deserving of these things. And obviously, they must have done something wrong. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? Lord, who sinned? He or his parents. He's blind because he messed up. That's their worldview. The leper, ah, they they messed up. And God's reminding us the power of the gospel goes out to people who are the last, the least. And as they receive God's grace by faith, they become first in his kingdom. So Jesus told another parable. It goes right alongside of this. Two guys go to the temple to pray. One's a religious guy. And in our day, a pastor. And the other guy was a tax collector. In Jesus' story, in our story, it would make way more sense if it was a child molester. That would be the the scandalous kind of comparison. Pastor, child molester. The pastor raises his eyes to heaven and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, like this child molester. I thank you that you kept me from a life of sin. And then Jesus says, but the tax collector, so overwrought by his own sin, couldn't even look up to heaven. He puts his head down and he just cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those two guys walked away justified, forgiven. And he says, it's not the religious guy. It was the guy who understood he wasn't deserving of God's mercy and grace. He found God's forgiveness. He received it. So what crew are you in? What mindset do you have? The good news of the gospel is 
that when it comes to getting what we deserve, we all deserve the same thing, the Bible says. We've all kind of said, God, I'd rather run my own life. We've rejected his rule, doubted his goodness, disobeyed his commands. We deserve punishment. We've been speeding. We've been over the limit. We deserve the ticket. We all do. That's what we all deserve. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus comes to take on what we deserved, our penalty. That's what happens at the cross. God's justice is satisfied as the one who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, becomes sin on our behalf so that through him we might receive his righteousness. He takes on our sin through faith in him. We receive his perfect righteousness. And when God looks at us because of our faith in Christ, what he did on the cross, he sees Christ. The good news of the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. That Jesus came to take what we deserved. And the good news of the gospel is the grace of God is a free gift. And so that just takes us right out of this religion mindset. Now we kind of get that it would be a bad thing in a relationship with God to ignore him, to thumb our nose at him, and to say, Forget you, God, I'm just going to do my own life. We get that. That's probably not a good thing to do if there is a God. We understand that that kind of rebellion and pride can just move us away from God. What we fail to understand is there is an equal risk that comes from religious activity. So here we are. It's 10 o'clock Sunday morning. All the places your friends are right now. I mean, they're all over the city doing all kinds of things, not listening to a sermon. But here you are. You're in church. You may have dropped in a check on the way in. You may have served or are going to serve this week in some capacity to people in the city, to people in the church, our children. And what we need to understand is, is if we are in this religious mindset where we think that we are doing these good things so that God owes us, excuse me, God owes us something, that pursuit of a religious moral life is actually going to be that which precludes us from experiencing God's grace. Because functionally, what we're counting on is our own efforts. That's why we feel good about our future. That's why we feel good about our relationship with God. Because we're doing the work. We're working the program. We're trying to be good moral people. And our goodness can actually be the obstacle to receiving God's grace and forgiveness. Does that make sense? You hear what I'm saying? It's, 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 a, it's a twist. That's, Jesus is so opposed to religion because it's centered in human pride that we actually can work the program in such a way that we get to this place where we deserve God's favor and blessing and his goodness and eternal life and forgiveness and all the rest. And what we're fundamentally doing, though, is trusting in ourself. And the gospel just blows that all up and says, no, you can't do that. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve God's mercy. We deserve God's justice, his wrath, his punishment. So being here this morning could actually be an obstacle to your spiritual growth if you came here because you thought, I think I'll have a better week. I'll have a better week because God 
he's going to reward me. Put some money in, sang some songs. I was here, gave up some time. So it's going to go good for me. Now, do we want to do good? Absolutely we want to do good. But not for God's favor. It's because we have experienced his grace that that totally turns our life upside down. So that we experience the paradoxes of the kingdom, that it's actually better to give than receive. So that when I die to myself, I actually start really living life and experiencing life. And it turns my life upside down. So if we walk out of here this morning, we go, that's kind of an interesting story. I kind of liked it. If we kind of like this story, uh, maybe we didn't quite get it. It should kind of bother us. It should, it should raise the question, are, are there, is there any thinking in my life where I feel like God owes me, that I deserve this stuff? I mean, do I ever work it out and go, well, I know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I know I'm saved by God's grace. But now that I've come through the door by God's grace, I've been doing good works for God, and I'm working the program. And so, of course, we've got a good marriage because I'm doing marriage by the book. Of course, our kids love Jesus because we're great parents who are pointing our kids to Jesus and we have family devotions. Of course, I'm feeling good about the future and our financial position because we've been generous givers. See, it's actually, it's just really subtle. And I'll tell you where it all starts to unravel and be revealed is when all of a sudden we're going through hard things as a Christ follower. We're going, wait a minute, God. I've been doing the work. I deserve. Now, we wouldn't say it, but we feel like, hey, come on. I deserve better. What are you doing? Are we offended or amazed by the grace of God? If we're offended, may this truth kind of bring us to a place of going, God, I've got it wrong. A place of repentance, change of mind that leads to a change of action. Pride's just one of those hard things. Man, it's... Here's what I found. I have found that the sins that I so easily see in other people are probably my big deals. And man, I can sniff out pride. I can sniff that out. And you know, pride, that's just a deal breaker with God. Remember the very, 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 very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Any kind of spiritual pride in my life where, I, where, I, where I've got God going, God, you owe me now because I'm doing the work. That's messed up. We repent of that. And for any of us, this is really important. This is really encouraging. For any of us who feel like that five o'clock through, we go, man, I've been waiting. And I feel like my whole life, I've just been passed over. And it just seems like it just keeps going from bad to worse and from one failure to another and we're just feeling so crummy about ourselves. It's just so good to remember again, But it's the power of the gospel that turns things upside down so that last place things become first place things. And to get a hold of that and get my identity wrapped into the gospel and what Jesus has done for me, his love for me, not what is or isn't happening in my life right now. And then we shouldn't just quickly walk away finally and just say, 
Well, you know what? I may have a little bit of that 6 a.m. crew in me, but I'm pretty much a 5 o'clock group. I'm a pretty... I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm amazed by God's grace. Are you? Let me tell you how I think you can really ferret it out from this text. It's the difference between being a grumbler and a grateful person. I think that's where it gets really clear. So we came back from a month away. What a great time. And... Um, your lead pastor is just like you, man. I got feet of clay. And sometime early in the week, Lori goes, my wife, she says, man, you're sounding like a grumpy old man. <laughs> I love my wife. I love that I married a strong woman most of the time, all the time. You sound like a grumpy old man. You know, Play the tape this week. Listen to yourself. The things that you say, the things that are being recorded just internally. Is it the stuff of gratitude? That flows from getting grace, understanding grace. Or is it grumbling? Ah, that's that other, that's that other construct. Let's pray. Father God, We need your word. We love your word. We want it to do its work in our hearts. Expose anything that is self-reliant in us, that is proud, self-sufficient. Lord, we want to be amazed by your grace. Help us to see who we are, who you are. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that you grant faith to those who've never received your grace to believe that you came to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, to pay that debt. And Lord, we pray that you continue to turn our lives upside down and the power of the gospel in us and through us in this church and in this place would turn our marriages upside down and our families upside down. It would transform lives. It would turn this city upside down, the ethics of this city, the ways of this city, the people who are last in this city's lives upside down. And we pray that it would have great impact around the world for your glory, for the good of your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen.